Take with me your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Kings in the chapter 17, please. 1 Kings in the chapter 17. And can I thank our brother for leading this morning on indeed his words of welcome. And it is good to be with you today. And I thank the Oversight for their invitation to come and to share in these services both morning and evening. We're coming in to consider a little about the life of a great man, one of whom Scripture speaks positively of. And he is numbered amongst a small company of men, and indeed women, of which this is true. We think of characters such as Joseph, Job, Daniel, Elijah. In times whenever we read of them throughout the Scripture, referred to both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see then the positive spotlight that is shone upon them. And so from their lives, we are able then to glean lessons that are applicable in life's pathway. And this is what I desire even to do today. And we pray that the Lord will bless it to each of our hearts as we consider it. Reading then from the verse 1 of the chapter 17, 1 Kings in the chapter 17, and beginning our reading in the verse 1. The Word of God says, And Elisha the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, Before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward. Hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. It shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. It came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Ending our reading there at the verse 7. So we come to consider this man's ministry. This is our first introduction to Elijah and indeed to the work that God called him to do in the times of the people of Israel. We come, of course, at a time whenever Ahab is upon the throne. And as we come to understand as the story progresses, Ahab is indeed a very wicked king. And so Elijah is called to minister unto the people and to communicate the message that God has given him to do in times whenever there would not have been many who would have been open to receiving even the truth that he was proclaiming. We know as the story progresses indeed that as he finds his place upon the top of Mount Carmel and before him are assembled the very many false prophets of Baal, that there is but a small company, a remnant of believers faithful and true to the living God. Nevertheless, he ministers faithfully and the Lord allows him to prevail in such a time. But right at the outset of his ministry, the Lord allows us understanding indeed of the times in which he lived and to the king to which he ministered. For if you back up into the chapter 16 and read the, the words of verse 25, it tells us there of a man by the name of Omri. And the Bible records this, Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. This is the father of Ahab. 
This is the example that the king who sits upon the throne in the days of Elijah is is able to behold as he grows up and as he is learning his way in life. He's learning from a man whom scripture records very clearly as being the most wicked of the kings thus far. But continue on in the chapter 16, and we come to verse 28, and the end of Omri's reign is mentioned. So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab, his son, reigned in his stead. And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And so you see that in the kingdom of Israel, this northern kingdom, as this, the separation has occurred by this point, and the capital of the northern kingdom being Samaria, and this is where the king's house is established. This is where his reign is conducted from. But as Ahab now assumes the throne in the death of Omri, the Bible goes on to record that despite the very evident wickedness that was all around in the days of Omri, things got even worse. For Ahab, as he beheld the example that Omri set for him, he saturated it all, he uh, uh, took it all in, as it were, and then he exceeded it, both in word and in practice. And so he did that which was worse, that which was more evil, in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. We see here is the beginning of a very clear line of uh, progression as, of course, the kingdom as a whole gives its heart to idolatry. As Jezebel comes and finds her place now in the king's house and amongst the people of Israel, this influence under which she was brought up, this Sidonian influence, this influence of the false god of Baal now finds traction and now finds place in the kingdom of Israel. And so the hearts of the people of God are turned away from him and begin to embrace this false God, begin to do that which dishonors the very name of their God and that which goes against the law that he has instituted and set down for them to follow. And I say all of this to simply set into its proper context the days of which we read off here at the beginning of chapter 17. They're days of darkness. They're days of hardness. They're days whenever the hearts of God's people are far from him. They're cold. They're insensitive. They're hardened even to the very word that Elijah himself was now called to proclaim. That's why I believe that the Lord allows Elijah to come onto the scene, as it were, with such a bold statement. And indeed with such a standout event that will occur 
the length and the breadth of the land. For as he comes to the fore, he says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, someone kneeling his colors to the mast right from the very outset, he says, Before whom I stand, there shall not do nor rain fall these years, but according to my word. And so immediately something is about to occur that will get the attention of every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl within the boundaries of the kingdom. Something that will have an impact upon every home and every family, have an impact upon the kingdom far and wide, and they will be a people who realize that they are under the hand of judgment of God. This is a defining moment, is it not, in the nation? We believe that this is really where their sentence is uh, fully secured, that they will know captivity in the days to come because God uh, seeks to do a work through Elijah. But nevertheless, there is hardened hearts and there are ears which are stopped even from hearing the very truth of his word. But Elijah, through it all, is faithful. And he is one who stands out for us even as one who we can learn from and seek to implement the lessons in our lives that we learn from his. But it's this early part of his ministry I want to focus on this morning. Not the highlight that we all are well aware of as we come to the top of Mount Carmel, but rather these times of preparation, rather these times of proving, rather these times whenever God chooses to set him aside for a period of time in his own life. You see, Elijah comes and he proclaims this message. No doubt in his heart and his mind, he believes that this is what God has called him to do. And so this would begin a period in his life whereby he would be the messenger of God and be at the very forefront of the events within the nation. But this is not the plan of God. Indeed, it's not the will of God for Elijah, nor indeed his life at this moment. For immediately after proclaiming this message, the word of the Lord comes unto him again in the verse 2 and says, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. God's removing him from the very scene. The scene upon, uh, uh, upon which all of the events will be played out. He's removing him to a place of obscurity. A place where he will be hidden away and unable to be found for many a day. But nevertheless, this is all according to God's plan. And this is all part of the preparation that God is allowing his servant to undergo in order that he might know what it is to be truly used of God in the days that lie ahead. And I believe that this is also a moment in Elijah's life where God is requiring him to trust him, the living and the true God, like never before. A time whenever many of the events that unfold around him will make little to no sense. But yet through it all, God is asking him, requiring of him, expecting him to place his unfailing trust and confidence in an unfailing God. I wonder today, is that what God is calling you to? Is that what God is calling us to as the people of God in dark days, difficult days? Days whenever there's so much that seems to go against us. So much that seems to run contrary to the will and to the way of God. 
are these days in which God is seeking to remind us that above everything else, he requires us to trust him, to trust his word, to trust his way, to trust his will. That being the case then, what are the lessons about trust that we learn from this period in Elijah's life this morning? The first thing that we notice here is that trust is all about waiting. Trust is all about waiting. You see, in Elijah's mind, that's beyond a shadow of doubt in my heart, that he would have expected this to be the catalyst for the ministry that God had called him to. The catalyst for many days of confrontation with Ahab and with those who sought to implement this wicked way of worship within the land. Here was someone who from the very outset proclaimed his allegiance to the Lord God of Israel. He was proclaiming his allegiance to the one who had revealed himself to the patriarchs of old, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He was proclaiming his allegiance to the one who had also revealed himself unto Moses as being not only El Shaddai, the one who was able, but also Jehovah, the one who would. And he stands before this people in days whenever their hearts are being turned ever more and more toward this false god and to the ways of idolatry. This was not something new in the nation, not at all. But it seems to gather peace within the days of Ahab and Jezebel. And so there is much at stake as Elijah comes and stands before the king and proclaims his allegiance not to a false god, not indeed to the king who sits upon the throne, but rather to the living and the true God of heaven and earth. He's standing out. And he's standing apart in days when it was not popular nor perhaps even prudent to do so. Ahab, as we'll go on to see as we read through this story, is one who ruled a kingdom with a very tight rule. Jezebel was a very cruel queen. And many were the dastardly acts that they too were engaged in as they ruled over the people. And so it wasn't at all a prudent thing to take a stand against them, nor indeed to the direction of travel that they were seeking to lead the kingdom on. But Elijah comes and he says, I proclaim my allegiance to the Lord God of Israel. As I stand before you, the king of Israel today, I identify and I recognize that I am actually in the audience of the king of kings. It's him that I seek to serve. It's him that I fear. It's his mission that I'm on. It's his message that I proclaim. And so I stand before you today, Ahab, and I say that it will not rain for these years according to my word. Then immediately the Lord says, remove thyself. Whenever Elijah's heart may have been filled with expectations to do much more, to say much more, to prove much more, God says, now's the time to wait. Now's the time to get up from where you are and to find a place by a brook, a 
quiet place, an uneventful place, a place where I will be the only one who ministers to you. Read in verse 4 where it says, Thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Insight right at the outset into the supernatural work that God desired to do in Elijah's life and Elijah's heart. Firm evidence that this was a time appointed by God. We're coming aside from the activities that Elijah fully expected, indeed fully desired to be involved in. God had appointed this time, this time of waiting, this time to be spent in his presence, this time spent waiting on his work, this time waiting for him to provide the direction that was required. Are you in such a place today? Yes, there are many things that you feel need to be done in life. Many words that need to be said. A course of action that needs to be embarked upon. But God says, wait. Are there problems ahead of you that seem to be insurmountable? Are there questions that seem to be unanswerable? Are there decisions that seem to be unavoidable? Are there outcomes that seem to be unchangeable? And yet through it all, God says, wait. This is a time that I desire to prove to you who I am. And I am seeking for you to prove to me your trust in my unfailing word. The Bible tells us then that as this command is given, in the verse 5 that Elijah went, And did according unto the word of the Lord. So we see that trust is not only about waiting. But trust is about obeying. One of the hardest things that we learn in life is what it is to obey. Lessons begin from the very earliest and most impressionable days of our youth. Whenever mothers and fathers seek to guide us even to that way of obedience. Whenever we're exhorted to heed and hearken to the instruction that we receive from figures of authority in our lives, whether it be the parents in the home, the teacher in the classroom, or those with positions of responsibility in other areas of our lives. But yet through it all, no matter how young we are, and indeed no matter how old we become, One of the most difficult things we ever put into practice is that willingness to obey. To hearken, to heed, to implement all that we're being advised, indeed instructed to do. Applying it in the spiritual realm, and we see very clearly that this is something that the New Testament concerns itself with on so many occasions. How that even in Paul's writings he is exhorting and decommanding the churches over and over again to do that which honors God and to lay aside all that would hinder or hamper 
the work that God desires to do in our hearts and lives. <coughs> Lay aside every weight that does beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Instructing us to ever let go of the old nature and to embrace that new nature, that change, ever-changing nature as we are being more conformed to the image of God's own dear Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How that even through the words of Scripture as God seeks to guide us in our lives and seeks to impart to us the wisdom for the decisions those questions, those moments that are weigh so heavily upon us, God seeks to impart to us through his word that which will furnish us to walk aright. But yet through it all we struggle. Our nature is to work it all out ourselves. To put into plan the action that we believe to be most needful, most necessary in the moment. To do what we perhaps have always done, the old tried and trusted method of dealing with situations that are beyond us. With relying on the strength and the arm of flesh. Yet God reminds us so often that it's that very arm of flesh, it's that very strength that we find within ourselves that will fail us. The journey is too hard for thee. It's too difficult for thee. These are the words that God himself would speak unto Elijah but in days to come. As he ran from the very presence of Jezebel and found himself by the wayside under a juniper tree reflecting on all, yes, the goodness and the blessings that God had allowed him to be a part of and allowed him to see, but also lamenting the very difficulties and the challenges that God had allowed to enter into his life. And God reminds him, the journey is too hard for thee. No matter how long you live, no matter how many years you've been a Christian, you come to that realization over and over and over again that life, life's journey, is too hard and difficult for us. What's necessary in these moments is God would have us to implement and to prove that trust that we have in him and his unfailing word then is that obedience. The psalmist put it this way, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He would go on to say, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. Is that something that we evidence day by day in our lives? Is the truth of that seen in our action and reaction to life's events? As we know God, the instruction from God as we receive it from his word... Do we implement it and obey it in our lives? 
You'll see there in the verse 8 that the word of the Lord comes unto him again, saying, Arise, get thee to Sarpheth. Verse 10, so he arose. And over and over and over again, Elijah is learning that lesson of obedience to the will and to the way of God. As according to his will and in his perfect timing, God gives that direction that is required. But for Elijah, that trust that he is seeking to exhibit in the God of Israel before whom he stands, it's all about waiting. And it's all about obeying. But there's one final lesson that we see in these verses here as we reflect upon this challenge to demonstrate the trust in our God. Not only is trust about waiting, not only is trust about obeying, but trust is about believing. In verse 5 it tells us he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. I wonder as he was making his way down the road, what were the questions that were arising in his heart and his mind? Was he asking, as perhaps many of us are prone to do, can God really do this? Am I going to awaken tomorrow to the breakfast that I require and to the nourishment of food that is so vital for life day by day? Am I just following some notion that I have in my heart or my mind or is this something that God himself is really going to prove himself in? Whatever the case may have been about what was going on in Elijah's heart and mind, the Bible is, of course, silent. We can but speculate as to his mindset and to even his emotions as he made his way from the place where Ahab was there in the capital of Samaria and found his place by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. But what he did find out that very next day was that God was true to his word. The Bible tells us there in the verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. Morning by morning, you mercies I see, wrote the hymn writer. Surely this would be the refrain of Elijah too as he reflects on that time uh, by the river there and by the brook of Cherith. As each and every day those ravens descended from the sky above and dropped right beside him, that was was required even to give him the strength for that day. To allow him to continue to prosper in his life and to know the fullness of strength and vitality. There was a daily reminder of the faithfulness of God. And there was evidence provided to him. That God was one in whom he could believe. Why it was so important in this moment, I believe, is because of all that Elijah would go on to do. God had a plan. God had a purpose for his life. And that plan and purpose was, of course, unique 
It was unique for the man, indeed, who was called to fulfill it, but it was unique for the hour in which he was called to serve. God desired to prove beyond all doubt that he was the living and the true God. He desired to make a mockery of the schemes and the plans of man. And he desired to tear down even those things which had been built up to dishonor his name. He desired to prove himself to be the living and the true God, the one who abideth true forever. So God was proving to Elijah here that in these moments, moments whenever it seemed impossible, moments when it seemed implausible, Moments indeed when it seemed that all around there was better ways and more, uh, more uh, indeed beneficial ways to engage in the work that God had called him to do. Nevertheless, when the command from God came that he was one who not only was to wait him to obey, but he was one who could and should believe. He's immediately put to the test, does it not, when he comes to Sarephath. And there he meets that little widow woman who's gathering her sticks. And he seeks to prove the power of God in her life. It goes on, of course, to the time whenever the little one is sick. And there upon that bed he breathes life unto the one who had no breath. It continues right until that time whenever upon Mount Carmel he hears the mocking jeers He hears the boasts of all who gather around him. But throughout the course of that day, he was one who never flinched in his belief that God was going to do the impossible. You'll remember, of course, from that account at how he built that altar. How he made it beyond all human doubt that this was an act of God, for there he soaked that altar. And he soaked everything around it. And with the faith that only a true man of God could proclaim, he called down fire upon that altar and all around. But you trace all of these things back, I believe, to this time by the brook Cherith. Whenever, despite what may have seemed to be the most reasonable plan, The most prudent plan, God chose to allow his servant to wait and taught him the lesson of what it means to trust in him. Obedience, believing. The hymn writer put it this way, I know whom I have believed in and I am persuaded that he is able To keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Are you weary? Are you troubled today? Do you find yourself in a valley experience of life with so many questions? So many decisions to make? Are you waiting upon God just as you're required to do? Wait, I say, on the Lord. Are you being obedient to the will and to the way of God as revealed in his word? And are you one who places your complete confidence in God and God alone? Remembering that through it all, he alone is able. God proved it in the life of Elijah. 
God proved it to the unbelieving people of Elijah's day. And I tell you today, God can prove it in your life also. God is desiring then to to reveal himself in the world in which we live. To an unbelieving people. That there is one who still sits upon a throne. High above all. Whose name is holy. Whose will is perfect. And it calls all men everywhere to repent. May God accomplish his work and his plan in us and through us. And may he encourage our hearts to trust him. Yea, even when it seems so hard and difficult to do. May we trust his purposes. Trust his plan. And trust his path. May God bless his word to our hearts today. We're going to finish by singing together the words of 468. We rest on thee. Our shield and our defender. We'll stand to our feet to sing together, please.